Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host, and today I have with me my loving and beautiful co-host, Deborah Micus. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and uh, today we'll be talking with H.L. Franklin Healthy Honey Company and Laura Cook. How are you doing today, Laura? I'm doing well. How are you all doing? We're doing very well. Um, so, Laura, tell us a little bit about how you got into the honey business. Well, my um, my brother actually started the honey company. It's H.L. Uh, Franklin was my grandfather's name. It's my dad's name, my brother's name. And um, he was overseas for years doing mission work, and he came back home and had all these different ideas of businesses to start because um, one of which was the honey company. He had met a beekeeper in Italy and learned all about the different honey types and how honey can be harvested from different floral sources and be different monotypes of honey. And not only that, but that depending on the floral sources that the bees use to pollinate, there could be added health benefits um, like eucalyptus honey and and different things like that um, that are harvested in Italy. And so he was super interested in it, came back and was researching it and met with a fifth generation beekeeper who then quickly found he had been keeping his hives on our Franklin family farm for generations. And it was just this really cool connection. And he was super excited about it. Um, I, he, when he started it, it was 2011. And then he got busy doing another family business and wanted to sell the honey company and I said well you can't sell it it has our family name <laughs> and he said well then you need to buy it <laughs> so I uh I was super busy though at the time I I had lived although I grew up in in Georgia and went to school at um Brunel University I moved to New York right after college and worked there and lived there for 25 plus years and um the last of it, I worked for a skincare company called Kiehl's and um, did all of their celebrity relations and product placement and film and television and events and all kinds of different things. Um, I had left uh, Kiehl's to start my own consulting company after being with them almost 10 years. And um, that's what I was doing. So I had Kiehl's as a client. When I left Kiehl's officially, they said, well, we want to be a client, which was great. So I actually worked for them in-house in the corporate office for 10 years, and then they were a client uh, of mine for 10 years after that, and amongst others. And I was just had a full plate. It, you know, being here, we'd moved back from New York and lived here. We had a, a our first child, Avis, um, was about almost two when we moved back. And then we have now Lily, who is five, and, and Avis is nine, but... When um, he asked me, he said, well, then you need to buy it. Well, I, you know, I actually ended up doing it. I said, you need to, (laughs) if you get a nibble, if somebody else wants to buy it, then give me first right of refusal. And within a month, you know, he could sell toothpicks to a logger. He called me and said, (laughs) well, I have nibble, (laughs) you know. So I said, okay, fine. So I bought it and I thought, you know, I'm just going to put it on the back burner and just kind of protect the name, you know. And I'll get to that when I get to it. Well, it started growing on its own. People started finding out I was the owner. (laughs) And I then was like, oh, gosh, I have to really get into this because the website, you know, is not what I would be and all of that. So I started working on it and 
the first year, all I did was change everything. And, <laughs> change you know, everything. I love it. You know, I mean, right. the, the you want to make it yours, made, right? Um, I did. I did. And, and the label was made, which I loved. Um, he actually, when he, when my brother made the label, it's that old apothecary style. He had, um, my sister is an artist as, as well. And she, and the three of us kind of weighed in on it. And you can see the keeled um, common thread right. in the label because, you know, I lived and breathed that world for so long. And it, it looks like it would be a keeled product right. when you look at it. But um, so I started working on the website and redoing the, the prices and um, getting, you know, three sizes instead of the one big size. And customers were asking for that, different price points and stuff. So it took me, you know, a year working on it. Um, in my spare time <laughs> and then it started growing and then when I was working on it, I mean it was the most fun the most fun I'm so used to building other people's businesses and growing other micro brands to you know a global level type of thing and that is something I'm I, I love doing and I it's fun well I've never had my own company to grow so this was really fun because I got to do um, a lot of test marketing, you know, things that I've always wanted to do, but would never risk doing it for someone else. But now that, you know, it's my company, I could, let's try this and see what it does. You know, it was so much fun. And it was fun to watch it grow and have it, you know, have equity in my own company and, and build it for the future of my children. And that was just really super cool. So I found myself wanting to spend more and more time on the honey company and less and less doing right. my, other, my other work. Well, right. Um, one's for so other people I, and one's for you. That's right. That's right. And then um, I realized I was doing so much work for, um, for, for Kiehl's really um, and some other clients, but um, I just was like, you know what? It hit me one day. I was like, if I spent as much time as I do, you know, on Kiehl's on the honey, then, you know, it would really kind of gross as much as what I'm making uh, from, you know, my retainer working with them and I actually own it. So it's right. building something for the future. So um, I love all the people that, that work at Kiehl's. They, that was like my family for so long. Um, it's amazing, you know, the different generations of employees that grew up, 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 and then they are like, you know, the head of this and the head of that and, Anyway, still really super close friends with everybody there. That was such an amazing experience for me. I feel like I grew up working there. Right. But it gave me all these, you know, all these skills that um, I feel like I can emulate, you know, the growth of, of what I had as a piece of to help grow that business in other brands. So it could be honey, you know, it could be a car, it could be, <laughs> you know, anything I mean, right. it's kind of it's the same equation you just tweak it a little bit for whatever the product is but so so I mean um, at what point I, I mean that. like so you obviously got to a point where you're like I really want to spend all my time on it but there's obviously it's you know the decision always comes down to you have when you pull the trigger I mean I I think it's always scary at least in the past when I've had to do it I thought it was scary to quit the job that actually has the paycheck to take on the entrepreneurial thing. And as much as you see the upside, you a lot of times aren't 100% there financially. And so did you, was that a nervous proposition, you know, like, or were you, you had achieved enough financial success with your company that you felt safe doing it? 
Well, yes and no. I, um, it was horrifyingly scary. I was probably the, a year before it actually happened. Right. I wanted to do it. And um, so I was kind of in my head planning and talking to my husband and, you know, we were planning it and we were like, okay, you know, what part can you take over if I do this? And, and so, but nothing really ever prepares you because, you know, life always comes, especially when you have children, there's always added <laughs> of um, expenses, you know, that right. pop up and take, you know, pull from your savings. And so, but I, I trusted the fact that I, I'm, you know, I'm a super hard worker and I know what I'm doing when it comes to building a brand, just because I've done it so many times in so many different ways for so many different brands Right. that, and I, and I felt really comfortable about, you know, my plan for the growth of the honey company and what it would take to get to that point to make, so it generated X amount of dollars, which is what we would need, you know, to support our family. You right. know? So, um, that the, the pre-planning is key because you can't just, you know, make an emotional decision. And, and then, you know, when you think that, Oh, I'm just going to quit because I want to, it, you could never do that because then you're, you know, flat on your fanny and you realize you can't support what you need to support. And then you're going to have to go get a job, which takes you away from doing your main goal of building this business, you know, right. another job or whatever. So, I mean, there is a fine line, but it, it can be achieved right. certainly with the pre-planning and, but it also doesn't, no matter how much pre-planning we did, I mean, it still, you know, didn't prepare, but you, you're always ready to, you know, okay, what do we, what do we need to do now? So I started, um, you know, we, we did our plan, but, you know, you think when you get like big retailer, they're going to order every month, you know, <laughs> right. or, and they don't always, you know, you can't control other people. I mean, they can't control their ordering because they can't control the people that walk into their store. Okay. So, all the, all the unknown know, factors, right. All the unknown factors. So I figured out that if I were to grow my retail sales to hopefully balance my event sales, which is direct to consumer, um, that would also, you know, the third leg in it all for the stool, I guess, is the retail, I mean, the um, online sales. So I wanted those three areas to kind of balance each other so that if one dropped down, you know, I had the other two. I wasn't just relying on retail sales or just relying on my website sales or, you know, right. just relying on event sales. And then, um, I mean, really, that's super smart, right? Like you, it's while you have your product, you have it in different venues, so you have different opportunities to like get it into people's hands and continue to grow your company. So that's a smart approach for sure. Yeah, the events, um, although that was probably the is still the most exhausting. It is such a great cash infusion, you know, for your business to to um, to have because. some of them can just be super, super helpful with sales. And not only is just the, that day or weekend of the sales, the people that come to the event go back home and they have tried all the different honeys and they've found which one, you know, tastes the best to them because everyone's palate is different. They go home and they love it so much and they eat it every day, you know, for allergy relief and that kind of thing to prevent any illness and all that. But they end up ordering online 
and become regular customers. So it lives farther than just the weekend. And then they end up sometimes buying, you know, 250 gift boxes and giving it to all their friends or they have a business that, you know, you never knew about and they end up buying the corporate custom gift boxes. And then each person that gets a gift box that that person gave falls in love with the honey, orders it online. So it can be a domino effect in that way. Um, so that's super helpful. And then there's always retailers that come up and surprise you at every event. I and mean, we usually get one or two retail, uh, new retail interests. Um, from every event that we do. I mean, one, uh, one we got five different uh, retail accounts from a, a Made in Georgia event up in the mountains that we did last year, and that was huge. That's amazing. So they can, um, they can benefit us not just, you know, th- that weekend, but continuously. So those are huge, but they're exhausting <laughs> to go <laughs> pack up everything, leave my children, you know. Sometimes I take them with me if it's, you know, if it's one that I could. And... Um, but sometimes I have to leave them, so that's hard. But I'm yeah. doing it for them. So what year, uh, Laura, did you actually go full into the honey business where you decided you were going to close down your consulting shop and actually just focus on nothing but the honey? Well, I, I didn't close down my PR marketing brand building business. I just put a pin in it. Um, and it was, I want to say two years ago, but... It may have been two and a half years ago now. Um, yeah, I feel like it was. And so I, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to some people now because the honey company is at a better, you know, the stable, you know, sufficient place where it's self-sustaining. Right. So now right. I can talk to and, you know, pick the right clients to be able to work with them, you know, on the side because it's not as tough as it was at the beginning where I needed to be just full in. And, um, but I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I'm just in conversations with others. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and and it's not finished. I mean, there's so much more growth that can be made. My, um, I have a a new wonderful bookkeeper. I I tell her she's an angel that's straight from God. (laughs) Love her. Oh, she's wonderful. And, um, but anyway, she did a little analysis of the sales, um, just a quick one that, um, that showed me how much sales, um, came through from the time that I purchased the honey company up until 2017 is all she looked at. And the, the overall growth was over five thousand percent increase in sales wow that's huge congratulations <laughs> thank you 2013 i bought the company to 2017 and then she looked at it by year and the lowest increase in sales percentage was it was um what it was a thousand fifteen percent in one year but that and it's so interesting and it was encouraging because um, we're, we have so much more to, to do to grow. I mean, we're not even all the way over all over Georgia. I mean, we've got a few spots in New York and, you know, different places scattered about. And our online orders come, you know, from California and Washington State and New York and Italy. I mean, we get it, which wow. is so funny to me because the honey in Italy is so amazing. <laughs> and they're ordering, you know, our Tupelo honey, so which is, which is really cool. But, yeah. So is it because there's, you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but you said there's 
different types of honey in? Is it maybe is it because they have a different type of honey in um, in Italy versus here? And so that brings me sort of into the next question, also, which is, you know, what products do you have, and what kind of sources of honey? And I guess I have a lot of questions, so I'll just ask them <laughs> all, and we'll go back and re-answer them. I, one is, is I want you to obviously tell everyone what your website is online and, and what kind of products you actually have. What are all your different types of honey? So let's start with that one. Oh, sure. So, um, gosh, we have several different monofloral types of honey, which is honey that's been harvested from primarily one floral source, and we name them after the floral sources. So they're pretty pretty obvious. And then we have uh, multi-floral source honey, which is the, the only one of those, and that's the wildflower. So that's multi-layered in flavors, multi-layered in floral sources, and also pollens. So that's one that people kind of tend to lean towards when they're looking for allergy relief, you know, not knowing what they're allergic to. Um, all of our honey is pure, raw, and unfiltered. So that means it hasn't been heated or processed in any way so that all of the powerful enzymes antimicrobial properties and antioxidants are fully intact, which helps strengthen your body and boost your immune system. That's the biggest thing about all of our honey. Um, we have crystallized cotton is one of our monofoil types. We used to call it cotton honey, but then um, it, it crystallizes about four to five weeks after we jar it. And that's just the nature of the floral source. It does it every single time. Um, but we want people to know it's supposed to be, it's supposed to crystallize. That's what it's supposed to do. So we changed the name to crystallized cotton um, it's one of our top sellers. People love that crunch, and um, it's incredible. Very different. Um, we have palmetto honey harvested from, you know, the palmetto. Um, they have little white flowers that come up that grows primarily, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Um, there are other health benefits from uh, palmetto, too. It's really cool. Um, the tall sawberries have been known to be high in fatty acids and steroids and often use an herbal support for prostate health and hair loss, which is really kind of fun. <laughs> so a lot of the bigger, you know, shampoo companies are putting it in their conditioners and their shampoos to help with hair loss and strengthen hair. Um, we have, you know, the gallberry, which is a floral source that grows, funny enough, all over the, the southern states. Our fifth generation beekeeper was telling me, because I always ask, oh, where, where is this harvested? What county is this harvested in? Because I, I want to share that with my customers because a lot of people ask that because they, they are like, oh, we want local honey. What's local to my county? And so I'm always asking what county. And he told me not to get too caught up in uh, county lines and state lines because, you know, some of these soil sources grow in the same region. So they don't know, the flowers don't know that there's a state line or, or, or a <laughs> right. county line there. And he, good you know, point, good point. <laughs> right, right. And he said, for instance, you know, wildflower is one, but also gallberry grows all over the southern states. He said it's in part of Florida, part of South Carolina, all over Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, I mean, all over. So it's interesting. Um, I tell people that when they say, oh, I only want local. Is this local? You know, and I explain that because that's what I've learned and it makes complete sense. But the one thing that people all seem to know about honey is, you know, when they come up, they say, is it true? I've heard, you know, that you're supposed to eat honey from your area because it's better for you. And yes, that's true, but it should, 
it's not geographic miles around where you live. It is actually the floral sources that grow in your area. But they don't know the second part of that, that is those floral sources can grow in other areas too, you know, in your region, you know, like southeast. Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting concept, though, because, you know, you think of like a neighborhood or something. And I mean, a lot of times, like, it's what people plant versus what's actually native to the area. But I guess the bees are out in the rural areas, probably more so than. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, how do you know even what's growing in your area? Yeah. That would be wildflower for sure, because it's a mix if they, you know, if they're also planting other things, but like, and like that takes me to the next, the orange blossom is harvested in Florida because, you know, we feel like that's the best orange blossom to us on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really good. And, but that's, you know, that's where that floral source predominantly grows. However, if someone from California or New York were to eat our orange blossom, although, you know, that's or, you know, wherever Washington state and New York doesn't grow in their area, it, it still is going to be good for their body and strengthen their immune system because it's pure raw and unfiltered honey. So that alone has those, you know, powerful enzymes, antioxidants, and antimicrobial properties that are so good for you. Um, sourwood is not sour. It's a floral, floral source that grows in the mountain area region predominantly, and we harvest ours from the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And um, that's my personal favorite. Everybody's palate's different. And, um, but it's not a number one or number two bestseller, but that's the only one. And for some reason to me, it's, to me, it's the least sweet and I can just eat that one and not stop. I could eat the whole jar. Oh my God. <laughs> not stop. But right. I take a big old tablespoon in the morning and one and put it one in my coffee. And, um, yeah, that's, that's my favorite one. Then, uh, what it's next, Tupelo. Tupelo is the um, honey connoisseurs all over and um, really know what, you know, the Tupelo and the value of it. They come up and they say, you know, I know that they know honey when they say, do you have Tupelo honey? <laughs> and um, it's super rare. It's hardest to harvest and therefore it's the most expensive. It's a two-week window to harvest it only and it grows along the water. So our uh, fifth-generation beekeeper harvests it in Georgia which is pretty rare, but a lot of it comes along the Apalachicola on the East Coast, down, which goes down into Florida, because the Tupelo trees grow along the river. So, you know, Tupelo, Mississippi, the Tupelo trees grow, grow you know, on the, along the Mississippi River. And um, the beekeepers have a two-week window to harvest the Tupelo only before something else starts growing. And if they don't put the hives in and get them out before that, two-week window, then it's not going to be predominantly Tupelo. It's going to be mixed with something else. And then they can put, like, their hives along the riverbank, but it's hard because it's a riverbank. So a lot of times they'll put them on a barge in the middle of the river. Oh, my so that God, the bees that's cool. Will, right? Yeah. So that the bees will, you know, um, pollinate from the first rural source that they see, which is the Tupelo trees because it's hanging over there. And then um, they just get busy because they have what they need. And they, you know, harvest that beautiful Tupelo honey. It's very smooth and buttery in taste. And it's the only honey in the world that doesn't crystallize ever. So that's pretty cool. Um, A lot of people unofficially, officially, I don't know, uh, call it the diabetic honey. I've seen that printed a lot um, in different publications. I don't know if there's any true studies that have, you know, studied that, but I've heard that 
they've deemed it that because it's lower on the glycemic index. Um, uh, honey in general is low on the glycemic index, so it doesn't spike or drop sugar levels when you eat it, which is why, you know, some diabetics control their diabetes with honey and um, athletes take, you know, a spoonful or those little honey straws that we actually make before they go for a run or swim. It gives them a healthy energy boost. Right. Instead of one that's going to spike them and then they crash. Exactly. Exactly. So how many total Um, different products are there in your line? Oh, gosh. Um, We have probably six or so gift boxes. Um, I think we have 10 different honey types. We've uh-huh. got uh, blackberry, which is seasonal um, as well. That, that's very rare to harvest it. Um, we had not had a blackberry in th- a wild blackberry honey in three years, but because this past year it got warm and then it got cold and then it got warm again, the wild blackberry had a double bloom, which allowed the bees to harvest this beautiful blackberry honey. Um, we have sold out of it except for a few little bits that we've kind of saved for um, some orders that are coming through. But hopefully in a month or so, you know, we will harvest another one. It just, if the weather, you know, cooperates is, right. is the thing. Um, like the, the, going back to that Tupelo, the hurricanes took out on the East Coast, took out a lot of the Tupelo trees. And then during that two-week window, if it's rainy or cold, or windy, the bees don't produce, they don't fly and they don't produce honey. So the, the harvest for Tupelo has gone down lower and lower every year. So the price of Tupelo has gone up and up and um, it's hard to find it really. And are people replanting the Tupelo? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's going to take generations, you know, to get it back where it needs to go. Right. Um, uh, the audience, whoever's listening in, you better get your hands on some Tupelo honey if it's if it's that <laughs> rare right now and try it while you can. <laughs> so do you want right. to tell That's everyone right. where it, what your email address is and all that, where they can find it? So our website is www.franklinfoods, with an S, L-L-C, dot com, and you can order online. And um, we're also sold in about 67 retail locations. We are sold on Etsy and Amazon. Um, We also have um, Creamed Honey, which won two awards at the Flavor of Georgia contest last year. We were super excited about that. (laughs) And um, that's a a favorite. And we have Chocolate Creamed Honey. Um, But the, the... the big thing to share is there's no cream in it. It is just raw honey that has been whipped. And when we're whipping it, it, it introduces air, so it makes it lighter in color. And then we set it up in cold temperatures. And um, then when we take it out, it actually it kind of sets up and it stays in that creamy consistency. And um, but there's no cream in it. The cream honey just has raw honey, and that's it. And then the chocolate cream honey has 100% organic cacao honey. I mean, sorry, cacao chocolate, which is the purest form of dark chocolate. And it has the most health benefits. So you may have all heard that you know, dark chocolate's good for you. Well, it really is. And um, this, the cacao, the organic cacao is the purest form of that. So it has the highest antioxidants um, and anti-inflammatory properties. So mixed with honey being an anti-inflammatory food as well is really super good for you. And it tastes amazing. 
Where'd you get the idea to do the chocolate one? I mean, it's, it's amazing for anyone who wants to try it. They should definitely go online and buy some, but I mean, where did you come up with the idea of marrying the two? I mean, I guess it makes sense that chocolate, you know, you could sweeten it naturally, but it's not actually chocolate. It's honey. Yes, it's honey. So my, I was looking at and playing with different recipes after we won, you know, Flavor of Georgia contest. Last year, I was looking at different recipes to mix with our creamed honey that would be, you know, yummy for our customers. And I was getting feedback from everyone. And, you know, there's a, there's a long list, honestly. And we've been playing with different recipes. And my mom, actually, she's, she's very much into nutrition and health. And, she, you know, she goes to yoga and tai chi and all this fun stuff. And she loves chocolate, loves chocolate. And right. so she said, this is what this is what you need to make right here. This is what you need to do. <laughs> and I said, that is what, I mean, so it was one of the ones that we made. And when everyone tasted the, the several, you know, little samples of different flavors, that chocolate was everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite. So I said, well, this is the one then that we're going to launch first, you know, as the, the, the flavored creamed honeys. And I love that the cacao has the added health benefit because, you know, it's called HL Franklin's healthy honey. And we, we want to stay true to that. I mean, it's all healthy because it's pure, raw, and filtered, so it's good for your body and all of that. So that was important. But it's, those have been our number one and number two bestsellers, hands down. I think um, they're all amazing. And there's a lot and of ways you can... I just want to tell the audience, though, because you mentioned the flavor of Georgia, Laura, is that you are a four-year finalist, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. I think you might oh, hold wow. the record. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone, at least the four years I've done it, that have been in all four years, but maybe there's someone else out there. So I don't want to give you the claim to it, but there probably should be some longevity award as well as being able to get to the final rounds every time. Well, that has been a, a huge blessing. Oh, my goodness. Especially because with the Flavor of Georgia contest, I mean, just to be a finalist is really being, it's, you're a winner because you <laughs> gain so much, you know, in so many different ways. You get such good feedback from all the judges and you learn so much from the colleagues that are there. Everyone's trying to help each other and we're all going to get there, you know, but if we help each other, we'll get there faster. And so that's been a huge blessing. But the, the win, the double win last year with the creamed honey, I mean, we won for the honey category, and which was amazing, and that was the goal. That's what I really wanted to do. And then I was reeling from that, and I hear my name called again. And, I mean, I was like, what? And it was the <laughs> finalist voice award, which was, it blew me away. I started crying. I mean, I was so Aww. excited. That was just such an honor, and it was just a huge blessing. And because of winning that, we, um, you know, for, prior to that, we were always trying to knock on doors and say, hey, try our honey. You know, we'd love for our honey to be sold in your store. And then after the, the Flavor of Georgia, you know, being finalist really is where it started, um, retailers were coming to us, which was a beautiful thing. <laughs> that was wonderful. So That's really a tipping point, right? Where you're like, people start wanting you instead of you having to go out and it definitely helps in the long, in the big picture of your sales and expanding your brand. And the beautiful packaging. I think all of it, just a whole well put together product and, and explaining it and putting the healthy part in there with the honey, I think is a huge part. Cause like we said, the honey does have huge health benefits, but I also want to say that it took 
two years of being a finalist and a lot of hard work, it wasn't an instant success for you. You had to work at it and put in different types of honey before you found the honey that won you the category and won you the entire flavor of Georgia, basically. So, you know, just as a lesson, because we want to, I want to make sure we touch on that is it was at that time, four years in the making from 2013, when you bought the company until 2018, or I guess five years, technically, uh, when you won the awards. Yes, a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. And, you know, I didn't, I knew it was going to be hard, but you just, you don't realize all the, the details of every area that you have to be an expert in. You can't just be an expert in honey or in sales. You have to, you know, you have to be an IT person. You have to be an HR person for your employees. You have to be a bookkeeper and an accountant. I mean, you, the the stuff I've learned that I never wanted to know, but now I'm super grateful that I do know, <laughs> right. is vast. I mean, it's crazy. Well, right. I mean, you went from having this comfort zone of of being able to market and brand and push forward products into, you know, a huge market and you had this, you know, comfort zone in that. But then like you're saying now, you then had to also jump into doing all of the accounting and all of the online sales. And I mean, all of a sudden you're having all these other areas that you have to become an expert in and really not the resources that maybe, you know, other brands are getting as when you're acting as a rep for that company. And so, so which parts of those, when you first started, were you just like, oh my God, and it was overwhelming because it really wasn't your comfort zone? Like, what was the biggest hurdle that was, you know, you were scared to jump into, but you had to do it because it was you running the company? Well, I mean, just the time to do it all. I mean, any, probably anybody could really do any one of those areas if that was your only focus. Um, But because you can't, you can't do them all. Um, the, for me, I think, I mean, the coding, I still don't know all of that, but just even making changes on my website (laughs) drives me crazy because I don't know all of the in and outs of it. I'm, I'm definitely learning, but I feel like I'm dragging my feet on it a little bit because I don't want to do it. So it's taking me longer, but I have to do it. It's, um, it's kind of like when you get a new phone, you know, you really don't want to have to learn all that new stuff, you know, again, but you have to, and in a week you will forget that you didn't know it. So exactly. it's, and it's important, it's important to know how to use your phone. Right. So that the website has been kind of a, a pain for me, a growing, stretching moment. And then, um, you know, making changes on it and it's not there yet. Still, I mean, I honestly don't have my chocolate creamed honey on my website right now. It's my goal today to get it on there. <laughs> and, um, oh, you've set it so on the air. So <laughs> yeah, now you've got to get it done today. Although this won't air for a little bit. So it actually gives you a little cushion. <laughs> okay, good. Well, it, it will be on, it's on today. then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> for when it airs. Um, and then the other is, you know, all the bookkeeping and the, um, the invoicing. And I mean, that's easy. I can do it. But the time it takes to do it is overwhelming. Uh, the permits and the licensing and the renewals, I mean, that is just, it's massive. It's right. massive. And you can't ignore that because 
you know. And it's kind of tedious too. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's things that like when you're talking about licensing or doing whatever, when you're doing it, you know, you're like, oh, okay, this is what I do. And you get it down and whatever, but you don't have to do them. Some of them are every year, but some are like every multiple year, you know, like you have three years or whatever. And it's like, well, you get back to it and you're like, I know I should know how to do this because I've done it. But because you don't do it every day, that's not your job of like doing licensing. You just have to do it for yourself every you know, once a year kind of a thing. You have to relearn every year how to do all of that. That is so true. That is so true. Um, What I have found, and I'm sure there are other more efficient ways of doing this that people have, and I'd love to to know because I'm all about suggestions of efficiencies, but I have like one, you know, like shared, you know, file that has all of the details, you know, for those random sites that you forget what they're even called because you do need to go back and look <laughs> right. at where do I go again online to, you know, do this or to pay this particular state tax, you know, every month. I mean, it's just a lot. So to have that reference guide for me is the way to go. Yeah. You're, I mean, people, it sounds like you have your cheat sheet. I love it. Yeah. And people don't understand running <laughs> yeah. any entrepreneurial business, how many balls you actually have up in the air and how hard it, it is to not let anything slip through the crack or let any holes form in your bucket and, and let out water is probably a good analogy. But I mean, it's so difficult sometimes to make sure you stay on top of things. And even if you send calendar reminders three years from now and things like that, they sneak up on you and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I didn't plan for this. And now I got to take time away from something I'm going to do and do this. So the management of time and balance. So that all being said, how do you balance the time with your family and your two daughters and your husband? I mean, it's tough. And you also said you still have the marketing consulting company. So how do you manage time amongst all of it and make sure you still have time for your family? Well, it, it is hard, but, my, you know, the family comes first. I mean, you know, the girls, the reason I'm even doing this company is for them. I mean, it would be much easier for me to, you know, still have that, you know, the big job in New York and flying around and having fun and, and doing what I do best and getting paid for it much easier. But this is, you know, something that is bigger, or can, you know, can be bigger and to leave for them. So I really, we all kind of embrace it and do it as a family. It's a family business. Um, my nine-year-old, I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old, and they come with me sometimes to events, the ones that are indoors, um, because it's just easier. And, um, and they help me work. They help me, I pay them, and they help me work, and they do the fun things and things that they like doing. And speaking to customers and, um, you know, restocking and different things. I mean, we also bring, you know, a truckload of, you know, coloring papers and pens and scissors <laughs> and craft right. and iPads, you know, very heavily charged iPads. But um, it's, I think it's good for them to have, you know, a sense of, um, you know, the value of a dollar and learning at a young age how to sell and what all it takes to, right. to do this so that they value it. There is a room in my honey office that um, is theirs, and they can come and hang out with me and play all about crafts and letting them be super creative. And um, they do that in there. And sometimes we have to to move, you know, cases of honey in there, but they still have their room. Uh, I love that, though. I think it's so cute that they're involved. And I think you're giving them a huge leg up in the world by, one, getting 
to see you like multitasking and being a mom and working and getting it all done and also letting them be a part of it. I mean, I know that when I was a small child, my parents, you know, were serial entrepreneurs and whatnot, but whether I, you know, even being really little and my mom at the time had a cosmetic store and I used to take naps behind one of the counters and, you know, just kind of that kind of thing. And, you know, when I was even younger, I learned how to count. They had a chain of laundromats and I, I learned by counting coins and putting them in little sleeves. I guess they used to do that back then, but, you know, just little things like that where, you know, and as I got older, they had me help with inventory or whatever. And so I think it's a huge thing that you're letting them be involved and letting them see it and have that exposure. So I think it's super cool. And I think there's a high chance that they will probably go on to be entrepreneurs at some point in their lives. I I think so too. I mean, the, the nine-year-old is already has multiple ideas of things that she wants to make and sell. <laughs> it's really, really funny. But they talking about speaking of, of taking naps under the table. So um, at several events, I mean, probably all of them that, that they go to, there's at least one, one table. Cause we have these long, you know, tablecloths that go over that they end up making a fort out of <laughs> and either taking a nap or watching a movie together under it. And it's so cute. I love it. And none of the customers even see them because, you know, you're, you're kind of waist level with your, um, with the tables or whatnot or countertop level. And so they, they just can't see them. And it's just that, it's, it's like a little secret fort underneath there. Yeah. I get all these things then, in my uh, email actually in entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And one of the things that I read and I, cause I really want to just commend you for doing it really. And is one of the things that's happening is because of cell phones and stuff like that, we aren't letting kids get bored and that thus their creativity levels are decreasing and they're less likely to be entrepreneurial. So in this article about entrepreneurs, it really talks about how passing on that experience to our kids and bringing them with us and making them part of our business and letting them have moments of boredom at events so they can be creative. And I mean, they're building forts. So that in and of itself is a creative thing, I feel like, because that's important. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just think, you know, as we're trying to educate people and stuff, I mean, and better the generations after us, we're a little bit starting to talk about on the podcast. And a lot of people are feeling this way as the greatest generation of all time in the United States sort of passes on. There's no reason we can't make our generation or our next generation, our kids, the greatest generation of all time through being entrepreneurs. It doesn't have to be war that teaches us. We can give it back because we are on the biggest verge of entrepreneurs and small businesses, at least in the United States. And I believe that's happening around the world because of the internet. So we have all these things we can teach our kids and leveling the playing field. So I just want to touch upon him for the audience as well, because I think that's really awesome that you do that and you bring them along, but you also let them have the creativity while they're there and, and the flexibility to do it and just be like, okay, you want to build a Ford under the table, build a Ford under the table. You know, it's not like you can't do this because we're working. No, they need time for the creativity and stuff because that is our future generation of entrepreneurs and people that are going to be creative and, you know, come up with great things this world could benefit from. So tangent, sorry, Absolutely. but... <laughs> 
No, I think it's great too. No. I mean, the kids see, you know, like, and sometimes it's hard for them, right? Like they're in an event and you're having to do sales and talk with people and they kind of have to learn patience and they have to learn that they're just a part of the world. It's not all them. And, you know, which is a definitely a growing thing for all children that they have to get to that. And, you know, so all of those things are great learning lessons. I mean, my kids, I have two daughters as well and they're, they're older, they're 19 and 21 and they, but when they were itty bitty, I mean, they literally, I used to own a valet parking company back then. And so they would, and I would drive the shuttle car cause we had to park cars like a mile away. And so they would get in the, I would put them in the shuttle car with me. And as my employees would jump in and out of the car, I'd be like, Hey, can you give them a bottle? Or, you know, like you do what you have to do as an entrepreneur, you figure it out, you know, and That's as they got right. older, they were like the pesty little kids who would, you know, you know, play with all of my employees who are typically a bunch of, you know, 21 year old males or whatever, who came to live in a ski resort for a season. And so it was fun. I mean, on one side, they definitely found the fun in it. And that's, you know, they had to be creative in their situation that they were in. And, but they got to experience like, Hey, this is what we got to do. This is what mom's doing. And so they would come with, you know, so I think it's cool. You include them. Yeah. That's right. And then they get to where they want to come and they, they, it's not like they have to come because they, because they don't, but you know, I would love to be with them. They, they always want to come. They're like, are you going to take me? Are we going? And there's one festival that we have coming up that's outdoors. And my husband comes also, and we all just do it as a family. Last year, we actually brought our little Chihuahua puppy because <laughs> we just didn't have anywhere else to, to, to do with it. And the owners of the event were fine with it. And she was so happy. It was outdoors, so it was fun. And the kids would walk the dog. I mean, we just, you do what you're right. You do what you have to do. Right. And um, it, it, if you embrace it, it, you can make it fun. Well, and growing sure, up in an entrepreneurial fun. family, the bond that you guys have and learn with each other, I mean, you don't get that not being in a business together as a family or all working together at events like that. I mean, I grew up on a farm and um, my family's obviously involved in what we do with our business. But having that experience with your family, I think it, it goes on a whole new level. Sometimes you talk too much about business as you get older, I find, but <laughs> it becomes all business sometimes and you got to find a balance to go the other way. But I love that you just talked about it. You did it as a family. It was something you guys did together. Everyone enjoyed themselves. You sort of divide and conquer and learn about that. I mean, they go walk the dog while you're doing sales or they can run and grab more honey and, and things like that. I think that's a huge experience. I mean... You can't get that in an education. You don't get shipped off to college and learn that experience. It just doesn't happen. So having that experience, in my opinion, when you go to college or go out into the work world, if you don't go to college, it's a hugely um, beneficial thing as a human being. I mean, you just don't get that lesson in life. And if you get it in your 20s, when you could have gotten in your ones, years, I don't know what years they would be, the early decade. <laughs> your formative years. Your formative years, thank you, the... But I think that's awesome. So I have a next question for you, actually, Laura, which is tell us what your biggest horror story has been <laughs> since you've been an entrepreneur and started this, the Healthy Honey. Well, you didn't start it, but bought it and, and made it your own. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so the biggest, oh, the biggest horror story, I mean, my mind goes straight to the, the, this fraud situation that happened. Um, one of the things that, you know, is this was two years ago, um, you know, traveling and doing these events and stuff. Um, I wasn't here, um, as much as I would like to 
So it's hard to micromanage any, you know, too much, any employee. And, and you don't, you know, I guess you forget if, that things that you know, it's just not common that everyone knows them. And it makes complete sense because, like, if, if you read, I, I, someone had given me along the way, you know, the seven signs of fraud or whatever it is, the, you know, the most common signs of fraud. And I read it one time many years ago. And that's, that's something that just stays with you. You just, and once you read it, it's like, oh, that's totally common sense. But it's because I read it, you know, so you forget that not everybody has read those things. And, you know, this is one of those things. If, if I could go back and change it, I would, you know, put that in my little, uh, had not has not been made yet employee manual and um make everybody read it and sign it right <laughs> and um because you don't want to forget to tell people that it's such a big thing so when i was off at this event um this one employee unbeknownst to her um took some uh sales from a fraudulent person and ended up being he ended up you know asking to order all of these different custom-made uh, corporate gift boxes for the holidays and putting them on different credit cards. And that, A, is one, you know, uh, sign, but also splitting invoices is another sign of fraud. Um, the e- initial email that he sent had some grammatical errors in it. That's a sign. Right. Um, you know, I mean, we, we re- I reported it at the end of it all to the FBI, and they said, yeah, it's from another country. So it, it, it happens all the time. It's it's prevalent and it's becoming worse. Um, but and I get them all the time. I see them all the time. The emails all the time. And I just hit spam, spam, spam. You don't even reply to them. Right. But um, it's it, it. They were never ever planning to pick up the honey, but they said that they needed to use their um, shipping service, which is another sign <laughs> of fraud. Right. Um, anyway, there was a lot, a lot of it. But this employee did not know. She didn't know. She just thought she was doing well and getting a great big old sale for us. And <laughs> right. The right thing. Uh. And um, so, but it ended at the end of the day. It was like fifteen thousand dollars. Oh my god! And um, we, the merchant, was were responsible for it because um, the law to change. And three years prior to that, the banks would have covered that because of how it happened. Um, because it wasn't really our fault, but technically we, because the, the laws had changed and now the banks weren't, we were. So that took me to my knees for sure. And I mean, oh I, I, I kind of cleaned house in the sense of, you know, scaled back, no more employees. I mean, I had to do that right. to survive. I had to stop everything. I had to turn off, um, you know, we had this really cool where you put your thumb on it when you walk in and it takes, you know, account of who's walking in for your time clock right and I mean we had to cut everything out I mean no more you know paying that $50 a month or um, nothing we just had to scale it all all back and I really reevaluated even doing this I was like you know I'm really excited about this company and this is moving and growing but I mean I I kind of looked up and threw my hands up and looked up at God. I was like, listen, am I supposed to be doing this? <laughs> right. Are you trying to tell me, I, you know, I will file for bankruptcy if that's what I need to do. And um, because I just didn't know any other way around it. I mean, that was just too much money. And I, I just didn't know how to, how to get out of that hole. I mean, that's just a lot. It was heavy. Yeah, that's huge. And um, it was 
kind of funny. I got a call literally right after I said that out loud. You know how you can throw up your hands and be like, really? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, right. kind of thing. I know that's um, why entrepreneurs so talk to God more than anyone else. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> give me the answer. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and we're probably closer to God <laughs> right. than anyone else because of all these little roller coasters. But uh, this phone call was from this man I'd never met. And um, he was based out of um, Pennsylvania. And he said, hi, you know, I, I got your number off of the, the, the telephone number off the jar and uh, of your honey. And I want to buy 500 pounds of, of your sourwood honey. In it. And I was like, well, that's great. We're, we're you know, and I'm always weary of everybody. Now, <laughs> right. You know, I don't trust anybody now. Right. And I'm like, great. Where are you based? He's like, I'm in, in Pennsylvania. I'm like, well, where did you get our honey? like totally skeptic. Right. And he said, Oh, my wife bought it two years ago um, when we were driving down to Florida off of 95. And I said, Oh, I'm sure you've got the wrong honey company because we don't have, we are, we were not selling that sour wood off of 95 anywhere. Um, <laughs> close anywhere close to 95 is what I said. Right. And he said, no, 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 it's definitely your honey. And I said, well, what was the store? And he said it was um, brighter day farm, uh, brighter day, Food, help food store in Savannah, which is off of Forsyth Park. So that's, you know, an hour off of 95. Right. So I was thinking <laughs> that that was off of 95, you know. Right. And I said, well, actually, that is the only place at that time that was selling our sourwood. So I guess you do have the right kind of company. <laughs> and, um, you passed the test. And then anyway, yeah. And then the other thing was um, it was not the season for sour. It was actually the end of the season for sourwood. So we were almost out of our sourwood so I could not have sold him 500 pounds of sourwood even if you know because we didn't have it right and um but that would have helped that would have helped the situation <laughs> at the end and then I said well we don't have it you know but next year if you really do want it then I can account for you when we harvest we'll harvest more and then you can buy it at that point and I thought for sure he'd fall off you know and not and he said well we absolutely want to do it you sign us up for number one we want it and so the next year I, I called him and he absolutely did. And he still orders a lot. Anyway, <laughs> That's great. when I was hanging up the phone with him that one time, I, the first time I said, now, what was the name of your store again? And he said, <laughs> he said, it's called Hallelujah Hive. And um, <laughs> I just thought, oh my gosh, I thought, so I kind of thought that that was the sign. It was a sign for sure. <laughs> to keep going, you know, at least till the next day. <laughs> right. Well, we talk about it sometimes on this podcast. God sometimes doesn't give you what you want. It's he gives you what you need. So that's so, absolutely right. Portions you and keeps you close. And humbles you when you need it sometimes, unfortunately, especially as an entrepreneur. There's a lot of those moments. So, Laura, yeah. you were talking I mean, about I, how that happened with a with an employee, and you had to kind of pull everything back. And so, do you have employees now? And what does that look? What's that landscape look like in your company? I do. I, I don't have as much help as I could use, for sure. I mean, that probably is the case with everybody. Um, but I, I have someone that helps me jar, fill, label, um, all of that because we don't have a co-packer. We, you know, pr produce it all here. And we self-distribute. So, um, and then we're blessed to have Georgia Southern University here. And so there's a lot of, of um, students that will come and work with us, you know, during the time that they're still in school and whatnot. We are an official site for the 
internship program at the college. So they can come, which is super helpful to us and to them because they learn a lot, that they right. can come to us. And I'm our my marketing PR brand building business, LF & Co., and the Honey Company are both official sites. So I could actually have two interns for each company per quarter. But I've, I've learned not to have that many because you're just spending time teaching and there's not a lot of time to do the work that I need to do. Right. So we, we, they, they reach out and we interview and we select and have one every quarter, which is great because I've hired a lot of um, times the ones that are, you know, super go-getters that want to stay. Um, there, there's some, you know, go-getters that want to move to New York or go to Atlanta right away. Um, but I've had um, some amazing uh, students that stay and have become just like close friends, and I help right. them get a job in New York or in Atlanta. I mean, I'm happy to do that because everybody needs to be happy. Right. But it's been really, really helpful to them to, to learn. And, um, you know, and then for me, because, you know, they get credit in school, and then I get, you know, free help, really. Well, and, so, um, Laura, let's talk a little bit about interns because, um, you know, it's a topic that we haven't really – dove into much on this podcast. And so, I mean, one, do you have to pay interns or is that state by state or do you know the answer to that? I, I don't know the answer. I think it is. I think it may be state by state or I don't know. Right. But um, it's not um, uh, required right now, but I've heard that it will be. Right. Um, if and they ever do events with us, I always pay them to do the event because I feel like that's harder. Right. And it's hard work, and, and I'm appreciative of it. You um, mentioned that they get credit. So are you somehow affiliated with the school and so that they actually get credit for working with you, or how did all that come about? Yes, yeah. yes. We are an official internship site for Georgia Southern. So um, if they have a major in PR or marketing, uh-huh. um, or um, they can come in and, and intern with us and get school credit. And a lot of these students, they have to have an internship in order to graduate, right. so, which is a great thing, I have to say. Just seeing the different kids come through and what their level of experience is or is not, right. um, it should be required for, I think it should be required for all of them, and I think it should be longer than the amount that they are required to get because some kids will – have worked, you know, on and off their whole lives, and they are so much more evolved and in um, responsibility and in their thought processes of how to handle a situation. Um, it's just amazing to see right. the difference. And then there are ones that have never worked, not ever, and they are like a deer in headlights. It is <laughs> horrifying to see. I feel so bad for them because they need to know so much more than they do after they graduate in order to survive out there or to right. get a good leg up, to get a better job right. out of the gate than they will because, you know, experience is a huge, huge factor. And not just, I mean, you can interview well, but you are not going to stay in that job if right. you Agreed, one hundred percent. I mean, real life experience. I mean, school's great, but putting it to actually work is a whole different deal. So, how did you become an official 
I think you referred to it as an official intern site. How, I mean, do you have to, did you have to go through like, while they're with you, they're going to learn X, Y, Z, or did you just sign up and say, I want to do this and they gave you the thumbs up or what was, was there a process or an interviewing process for you and your company? Yes. So I'm sure every school is different, but um, I, I believe they reached out to us because some students had found me and they wanted to intern here. And so they spoke to the, but if, if someone has a business and they're not um, an, an official internship and they want to, they can, you can reach out to the head of whatever department and ask them who's in charge of the internship programs and say, you want to be, you know, um, an official internship site. So what we do is um, I have like a document that shares with the students what they will learn and work on in every area of my business. So there will be, you know, opportunity for them to have experience with writing samples, press releases, you know, um, social media, um, reaching out for events, um, speaking to customer service, you know, speaking to uh, retailers for customer service and follow-ups with sales, kind of every aspect of my business. Right. Um, except for the except for the finances. I mean, I don't yeah. I don't share that because um, that's not safe. I don't yeah. want any <laughs> mistakes. Right. In those areas. Yeah. Um, but all the areas that they need to learn that they have, you know, courses and classes yeah. that would be helpful, they get to work a little bit in. And then they have something for their portfolio, which is a big thing nowadays. We didn't do that when I was a kid. But they have this, these portfolios that they build, which is what they take when they go on an, inter, uh, an interview to a new job to show the um, person who's interviewing them what their experiences have right. been. And um, so that's good that they get to add to that. But it's really they're adding to their experience. Of course. um, And they're growing in it. And then um, we do an evaluation and mid, you know, mid time. And then their teacher comes and meets with me and I give them an evaluation and they do an evaluation on themselves. I mean, it's pretty in-depth yeah. and they really do learn from I mean, that's a big commitment on your behalf. And so, I mean, oh, it really as is. it all nets out, I mean, would you consider it, I mean, I'm sure it provides some help, but you also are putting a lot of your own time into these students. And so do you think it's more of kind of a give back for you or do you think you get more out of it? I mean, I know there's both sides to that equation, but how does it really net out, do you think? Well, it's mostly it's mostly a give back, yeah, but right. um, because I do spend a lot of time um, teaching, right. a lot of time. But the the beauty of it is, every now and then, um, a student will come through that is just like super diamond in the rough that is um, that connects with what we're doing here and wants to stay. And for me, that makes all of it you know, all of the teaching and whatnot and time spent worth it because, you know, I'll have someone that's excited about it, that is talented, that is already educated on what we're doing, that will stay, you right. know, for a couple of years. Um, the, they would, I think that the staying power would be better um, if we lived in a, a like a more, suburb, uh, more urban city or, or bigger, more sophisticated city, um, our little town of uh, Statesboro, Georgia, is 
growing for sure, <laughs> um, like crazy. But it is still, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not as big as Savannah and Atlanta and New York. And when a lot of times these students are graduating, they, they have their eyes on that. That's their ultimate goal. So, and I did the same thing. So I, I cannot blame them. I mean, I went straight to New York right out of college <laughs> and lived there 25 years. So I get it. Um, right. But you know, they need some experience before they can go and stay in New York. They got to get, they have to get the, the job. <laughs> so Laura, if you could go back now and tell yourself in 2013 things you, you wish you knew then that you know now, what would they be? Oh my goodness. Oh, well, I think that I would have grown faster looking back, um, gotten to where I am now faster had I um, taken more time for recovery to rest between times. And when I say rest, I mean to, to stop and do the, you know, the follow-up and um, reach out and all the things that you gain all these knowledge, all this knowledge from events and you meet these really cool different net people to network with. And customers constantly are telling me retail locations where we need to be in the areas that they live. And I come back from these events and I just open my computer and start catching up on what I've missed. And then that stuff never happens. It just never happens. And there's so much I've left on the table of growth that could have happened. And, um, and I think that personally, we all need recovery time in order to just breathe too and think more creatively. I mean, that's why um, I was just talking to a colleague yesterday when I'm in the shower, I think of the greatest ideas and it's because <laughs> I have no, no disruption. There's nothing else, but you know, my thoughts are clear. There's no email or phone going off or the door is not ringing. You know um, there's also when I'm driving to an event, I usually listen to a podcast or, you know, an audio book. <laughs> Or something like that, but or music. And when I'm doing that, it's just the creative juices are just flowing of all these different efficiencies that I could be doing, or you know. And it makes you just, um, I think, have clarity. So that's a big one right there. I think that's um, great. Like, like that's a. I think everyone can probably relate to that who goes and does shows and whatnot. Because, I mean, we were just out at the Flavor of Georgia, and the same thing happens to us as well. And we come back, and you know, everything else is hitting from work, and you're trying to get caught up on emails and whatnot, and you know, stuff gets just lost in the shuffle. Not because there's not an interest, but just because you know, everything else is still moving while you, you know, go to do these events. And so, but I think that's great advice. Um, I'm going to take it myself. <laughs> yeah, And one of the, it's, I'm glad you said that as well, because one of the motivational Mondays I just recorded and hasn't been released yet when this, when we're recording this, but it will be released by the time this episode releases is it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. And it's like, if I have six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend four hours sharpening my tool my axe because it just promotes that we need to stop and pause and sharpen our tools and size up the tree. And we often as entrepreneurs keep going, 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 going. I mean, I do it on this podcast. I, I keep going, 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 going and <laughs> flailing away at the tree or the podcast. And sometimes I just need to take a pause, you know, and reflect right. and, and see how maybe I'm doing things inefficiently and not letting some of the things fall through the cracks that I do. 
And it's, um, I just really enjoy that you said that because I think it is so important because we think that if we work hard, 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 you know, it's not always working so hard is, is always the smartest way to work. And so I think it's important that you said that obviously. So Laura, I just really want to thank you for being on the episode. Also, I think it's been awesome and taking your time and Deborah and I have gotten to know you really well over the last four years in your product, but as we do the podcast and stuff, we continue to learn stories about people and, and their experiences and, and things like that. So my final question is this, as we, we begin to, to wrap things up and there's so many more questions I have. So I'll hope you'll do another podcast with us in the near future. Uh, so we can continue to tell you to. Too. but what is it that, would love that when you get up every day or, or every day or every week, what is it that inspires you and motivates you to keep going? Keep doing the business oh, and goodness. keep selling the honey. Well, my children, I mean, my children are such a huge inspiration, but I would do it if I didn't have children too. So it's not the only inspiration. I think I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I love taking something and growing it. And it's fun to measure. It's a game. It's fun. I enjoy it. it. It's like fun to measure the growth of it or to have an idea and to put it into fruition and to see it succeed. It's really fun for me. So it's, I, I, I would say much children first because that's always on my first on top of mind, but it's not. It's, it's more, um, I think it's just, and I enjoy it and it's something that it excites me. Um, I love, I love to see uh, idea work and, um, kind of in the simplest terms, but, um, it's just, it's a fun thing for me to watch it grow. And I just, I want to say something just because I have known you for so long and I think it's important is that as a, a role model and as someone that mentors interns and things like that, I don't know of, um, and I'm, I am meeting more and more as we do this podcast, but I think you're a great woman entrepreneur and someone to mentor and you, you have a very calming ability to work through things. I know there's probably hectic times and there's frantic times as any entrepreneur goes through, but I just want to give you credit. And so everyone knows like the way you run your business, the way you handle your customers, the way you do things and present yourself or present your products and and sort of take it one day at a time. Um, I think it's really something to look at. So I just I, that's one of the reasons I love having you on the episode and why Deborah and I were so excited to have you on because as a role model and as a, a woman entrepreneur and as an entrepreneur in general, um, I think you really have something special and I think it's so huge that we get to share that and I thank you for coming on and allowing us to share it. Um, so thank you again for sure about that. But I do have a request, actually, or maybe an idea. I am in love with Satsuma oranges that are coming out of Georgia. <laughs> they have changed my world. I didn't even know the things existed, and I can't eat another orange. They're easy to peel. They taste better. <laughs> so I'm like, is there a Satsuma orange honey blossom coming in the future? Because if, there, if it tastes anything or, or reflects any of that flavor profile, 
I am 100% in someone out there. So I'm telling you, so I'm giving you a runway because we have about two <laughs> months before this episode releases to, to maybe get this off the ground. But I got to imagine the Satsuma <laughs> orange blossom honey would be incredible. So I'm going to throw that out there as well. But I really did want to give you credit before I threw that out there because I do know that if I mention it, you are a person that could could figure it out and bring it into fruition if it is a uh, a good tasting honey. <laughs> oh my gosh, it would be amazing. And one of the uh, predominant families who harvests it happens to have the last name is Franklin. And you know, my name's Laura Franklin Cook. And um, I, we thought growing up that we were related because we're from the same town, but we're not. But they are lovely people, and they make some incredible <laughs> satsumas. I agree. <laughs> that would be fun, fun one to do. I know. I just, uh, uh, and uh, they're growing everywhere in Georgia now, and people are planting them because, I mean, they're, they're incredible. So, Laura, are. again, are. thank you so much. And, and the audience, I mean, if, you know, you want to reach out or ask questions, please do. And we're going to get Laura back on and, and tell more of her story in the next few months because I think, again, she is such a, a role model for everyone who wants to be an entrepreneur and, and the hardship and getting through that $15,000, you know, thing and, and being willing to go back to the basics and, and streamline things and then rebuild, you know, that's a life lesson there too. It's not only a business lesson and as a takeaway for me, you know, that's really like you didn't give up. A lot of people would have given up and, and packed up their bags and said, I'm done with this you know, $15,000 that crushed me. I'm not going to do this anymore, but you continued to move on. So that's an inspiration to me for sure. So I want to thank you for sharing that story as well and being vulnerable. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I was super excited. This was fun. And so the audience, obviously, um, Laura's been on here. She just takes her time and wants to share her story. And there's you know, nothing in it for her other than telling the story and helping share it with you guys so you can learn. And Deborah and I obviously just do this because we love hearing people's story and, and sharing the world of entrepreneurs and food and beverage. So all we ask is that you share it with friends and family and pass on the episodes, tell people what we're doing, share this episode. If you like it, tell people to listen in. If they like honey, there's a whole world of honey out there that we haven't even touched upon Uh, with this episode. So one of the reasons we'll have Laura back on, but I thank you guys. And if you want to reach out to Laura, she's on social media and on the website she mentioned earlier, and I will put it all in the episode notes so everyone can see it. But this is Justin, Justin in the food entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Justin Mazar. I'm your host. And again, Deborah Micus is my beautiful and loving (laughs) co-host. Very lucky to have her. And uh, if you guys want to reach me, it's justin.bizarro at gmail.com. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O at gmail.com. And if you guys are interested in being on the episode, reach out to us on Facebook and social media at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. And thank you, everyone, and have a great day.